Welcome to the Interlocutor Interviews podcast. I'm Tyler Nessler, the founder of Interlocutor Magazine. For this edition of the podcast, I'm going to be doing something a little different. Coming up is a recording of our recent interview between poet, lyricist, writer, and community organizer Aja Monet and our contributing editor Logan Royce Beitman. We published the interview in the online edition of Interlocutor back in early February, which we had to edit down for readability. But since it was such a thoughtful, timely, and wide-ranging discussion, I wanted to release the entire recording of the interview so that our readers and listeners can hear the full scope of the conversation. Aja's spoken word album, titled When the Poems Do What They Do, was nominated for a Grammy in the Best Spoken Word Album category, and this recording took place shortly before the awards ceremony. So, enjoy the conversation. Let me start by congratulating you on your Grammy nomination. I mean, um, you're, you know, you're up for a Grammy for Best Spoken Word for When the Poems Do What They Do, which is a fantastic album. So, congratulations on the album and the Grammy nomination, and how how are you feeling about all of that? I'm, you know, I'm a bit, uh, it sucks for me because I don't like to get excited about things until they have come to pass. <laughs> right. I know the, the being nominated thing is the part that everybody's like, you should be happy. Um, but it's still a fairly new category. So to be frank, I was, you know, when I worked on this album, when we were making it in the studio, I, at that time, there was no category for spoken word. And I was like, I want this album to be good enough to win, you know, uh, any of the many categories it could be, it could be situated in. Right. And I think, it, I think, I feel that it's strong in that way. Um, so I'm still kind of, you know, just anxious about this new category and whether or not, you know, when things are new, they're just figuring it out. So I, I'll just say I'm grateful, um, but very anxious and excited. There's a, there's a mix of feelings. Um, more than anything, I just like, I hope that it leads to more people taking the work seriously and that right. like the resources that are needed to kind of you know, span the vision and the the uh, execution of the work is is possible, made more possible because these sorts of awards really matter to people um, in order to kind of legitimize one's craft, so to speak. And so, I've been doing this for a very long time, and um, I it feels surreal to be nominated for anything because I don't really believe I've been given much uh, acknowledgement in you know, in that sort of, to that respect by, by sort of big institutions that people right. um, really respect in, in, a, in a global kind of way. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm grateful. I'm just, I'm also like anxious about it. No, I think that's understandable. And I mean, I wonder how do you see your relationship with the, with the music industry Generally, I mean, um, you're situated sort of in the jazz world and spoken word has some relation to hip hop. And, you know, I mean, it's like you said, this is a new category. You're going to be at the Grammys with a lot of other, you know, maybe meeting people who are. I'm just wondering, how do you how do you think about yourself kind of in relation to the music world or the music industry? Well, I always consider what I do as a poet musical 
you know, I see myself as a musician for sure. Um, I think that there's limited, there is a limited uh, understanding by the music industry at large about Black culture and uh, the history of of what we've contributed to um, the American music and literary landscape. Um, I think in all arts, there's a lot more for people to learn about our progression as people who were formerly, you know, enslaved or forced into labor and then created in the midst and in, you know, the struggle against that and resistance to that. So um, I think that there's so much more for people to learn and to be uh, aware of about the nuance and the complexity of our culture um, and of American culture. You know, this is yeah. poetry. You know, I, I think the foundation of what I do is rooted in the blues, which is why I call myself a surrealist blues, you know, poet, um, is that I'm leaning on those traditions for a specific sort of conjuring of, of uh, legacy and, and, tra- and, and just orientation around you know, our, our, our history, those who've come before us and those who've made it possible for us to do what we do now. And if you look at that work, you can see traces of it in everything that I do, surely, and, and the things that many other artists are creating at this point. Um, in but, my, you know, I can, oh, go ahead, yeah. I was just going to say genres rarely ever do justice to the art uh, and what it's doing and the process. So you 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 take you take it with a grain of salt, you know, that the, the category is more for other people to, to readily identify, you know, in some kind of vague way, what you're doing and how to market or how to, you know, pitch you to, to the, to the world. But, um, there's all this nuance and, uh, range in, in the actual communities that we come from. And I think that, my hope is just to reach our folks uh, more more intentionally and to be given you know the ability to put the work um, in in the sort of same conversation as the things that have been inspired by that work no that's that's great and that that leads me into my next question where uh, I know I mean in a lot of your work and especially this album i mean you you name check a lot of artists that have inspired you, a lot of other poets uh sonia sanchez um I think June Jordan and a bunch of others um and so that kind of the legacy and the history um is important to you, and I think there's an element of what you're doing that's that is kind of teaching uh, you know people may learn about or access those histories through you uh yeah. I mean, that's the hope, you know, it's more that, um, that, that those, those, those poets, those artists, those people, um, were making records, they were publishing books and they were making records. There's a whole vast, vibrant history of people who used language musically and, and, and deepened our relationship to the political social political realities of who we are and how we identify in the world and to make more true um the narratives that that we come from and so that are like showcased you know or that are expressed and i think that there's a specific uh way that our stories have been marketed to the world 
um, often as entertainment and for the purpose of consumption, but rarely as the the function of of how it began, you know, which which was always to um, educate, inspire, create more self aware, self determined people who could um, could make you know sound decisions about their lives and and their connections to each other. And so, I think anything that can um, bring us back to you know just giving a nod to the people that made it possible for us. I mean, all the people that we know who are making records now could not have existed without the stepping stone of so many of, of these poets. And, and it's important to say poets, you know, poets made it possible. A lot of poets made it possible for black music, uh, to exist in the world as it does. And, um, and to be intentional about, the strategy of how we would share our music with our people in a way that would uplift and encourage rather than denigrate or, you know, destroy or, you know, delegitimize or devalue our, our existence. And, and it's, it's strategic that so many, it feels strategic that so many of our, um, how do I say architects have been erased from the the public narrative uh, and 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 really need to be need to be taught you know need to be taught so that we could have a fuller story about who we are here together you know right and and i and also not just um that history of of um poetry and music and but um also, you know, like African spirituality was like literally demonized for centuries, right? By um, Europeans. And, um, you know, so you're exploring African spirituality in your work. Um, I think, you know, on several of the tracks, especially the Yemaya track, um, which is very beautiful. Um, and um, actually on your cover photograph, by uh, Delphine Diallo, you're wearing a, a sort of, uh, it's like a Yoruba crown, I think, is it? Mm-hmm. And so you're really embracing um, African spirituality. It seems like a lot of, a lot more um, Black artists are are embracing that nowadays. I think for so long, um, I mean, if you grew up in those traditions, people practice them in secret, right? And sort of, um, but there does seem to me, I don't know, to be maybe a more of a resurgence or people kind of openly wanting to get back to the, that those kind of roots. I was wondering if you could talk about your own relationship to spirituality. Yeah, I don't know that there is so much that it was, you know, in secret. Um, I think that it, whenever mainstream media is unaware of something, you know, it presumes that everyone orients the world from that lens um and it's just not true you know the the white gaze the the white uh perspective is not the way that most people exist in the world and so there's a lot that people don't know because they assume the center and um you know create and and um you know, mandate based off of that sort of 
perspective and uh, way in the world. Um, but I think anybody who exists with other people in society and understands what that means in relationship to um, to connection and community knows that there's so many, so many vast ways that we worship, that we pray, that we, um, I mean, if you look at Christianity, for example, the den- denominations are numerous, you know. Um, if you look at the way that African people have worshipped and explored their own relationship to Christianity, Islam, Judaism, you know, the great religious traditions, uh, we've always had, um, you know, a, a depth and and an and a approach and in a way of preserving our traditions that have differed from the mainstream sort of marketing of those religions. Um, and also that have just lied, flat out lied about the origin of those religions, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that, that more than anything, like we've always existed as who we are. I think it's really the mainstream that is, has to contend with the lies that it's lived through, you know? Um, I think that, I will say that many of us have been brainwashed, you know, many of us have been conditioned to not love our ourselves, our origin stories and how we came to be. Um, and so there has been a resurgence in people doing the work to further, you know, interrogate that sort of colonization of the psyche and uh, of the interior world. As much as we talk about, you know, once we got the, the, the chains up off our wrists and ankles, you know, we had to, we had to spend, you know, centuries trying to get the chains off our minds and and spirits. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is perhaps what you're noticing or contending with um, is that there is a, a concerted effort for people to really understand who we are and how we came to be here and what our connection is, because certainly the way of the the West or, of the of the mainstream is not um it is not helping human beings uh de-escalate harm and violence and war and uh you know racism and oppression um and so we are seeking uh to return to a way of being that honored our presence with one another and and valued the love shared between us and um, other forms of allegiance that are not just tied to, you know, our individual gains. Uh, and I think that that is what's so beautiful about it. But for me, you know, I grew up in a household that, you know, it was always African in in the function of how we talked about spirits and 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 people in our families and um the politics of the time and the ways that ancestors show up in divination and um you know of course when i went off into the world and i was a child being schooled and and indoctrinated into the ways of of the western school i didn't i didn't always feel seen or affirmed um, but I knew that there was something else that they weren't telling us. Always knew that there was another way 
of looking at the world that was not being introduced or invited into the conversation. And so part of the power of our our spirituality is also in its um, kind of, you know, uh, I don't want to say invisibility, but in its ability to remain an engaged witness and and not so much a dictator of other, uh, you know, belief systems or other ways of being. Um, I think the power of African spirituality is that it remains and it remains rooted in bearing witness and withness to the way of the of of nature and uh the cosmic awe of our presence here together um rather than the idea that one has to proliferate or you know um yeah like campaign for followers or believers i think that when one lives out their lives they will come to the truths that african spirituality reveals and eventually they will have to always go back to the source that's that's beautiful I, everything you say i feel like has so much beauty and wisdom and and precision i guess you know it's this is you know you have a you're a poet so um but it's um well, you mentioned at one point you brought up wars and racism and i so we know in addition to being a poet, you're a committed activist and um, you've done, you know, in uh, for various issues. But one I know you've been um, that's been close to your heart for a long time is Palestine, um, where you visited, I think, was it um, uh, over a decade ago? If you want to talk a little bit about how um, about your activist work, how it um you know, commingles with your uh, poetry and um, and and specifically, if you want to talk about um, what's happening in Palestine. Well, yeah, yeah I, I think what it's most important to know and delineate is that I've shared this in a previous interview is that um, I don't I don't really identify, you know, many people identify in many ways these days, but I do not take credence to the title activist. And it's only because I think it's inaccurate about what I do and how I move in the world and how I see what I, what I do. Um, because in, in, in actuality, like it's far more, um, you know, it complicates things when, when I say, well, I'm not someone that's just reacting to injustice or the things that are coming out of it. I think I'm more invested in the relationships that are necessary, uh, the deepening of relationships and connections in our lives that are necessary for us to assess um, how we govern this existence here together, how we navigate, how we um, restore relationships, how we, um, you know, de-escalate harm. You know, those are those are very specific questions that w- one is contending with, not just in my poems, but in the real relationships in my life. And so to me, that's a tradition rooted in more of a community organizing practice than it is an activist tradition, you know, where people kind of come in for an issue and respond to the issue. And then there's not a real commitment, committed effort to anything beyond the response. I think we have to be more, uh, 
concerted in 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 our art in our language um in an articulation of what it is that we mean when we say what we say and how do we become more precise about what we're what our intentions are and what is necessary for us to see the conditions changing of our material lives um and so that requires you know a deepening of our of our relationships with one another and our connection to each other and seeing how you know um how if we keep continue as we have you know um that not much we must learn from the past we must learn from the lessons of the past of the things that have been useful and the things that have been um really uh, you know atrocious and so and and have exhibited the worst parts of our of our you know of our existence here together and so when it comes to palestine i say this to say that my relationship to palestine my orientation my work my commitment to palestine is rooted in deep real relationships with people who i am invested in um in their in their vi- vision and voice for a liberated people i'm invested in understanding um why my friends tahani salah wrote poems about the demolition of her her and displacement of her people from their homes i'm invested in trying to um to to be more aware of how her listening to my struggles as as a black person in this country can deepen my ability to show up and and understand her struggles and therein over the years seeds have been planted where i have become more aware of you know um systems of of power and colonization that are at play that work themselves out in deep personal intimate relationships where people have lost family members have lost lives and have have literally been incapable of living um you know decent um dignified um loving sort of lives and so one b- begins to question well why is that why is that made okay in this instance and not in others who has the right to dictate um who has access to power and water and food and um and mobility and movement freedom of movement who has the ability to dictate who has access to peace and quality education and and resources and when you start to ask these questions they start to point in a direction and and that that sort of um that sort of engagement with your life is really about deepening your relationships with the people around you and 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 realizing well actually solidarity is not so much about whether or not i can see myself in your story and your struggle but it's it's about um how we share um visions around our our self-determination around our joy around our values for um for a life of dignity you know and so when i say that to, i say that to say that um palestine is an extension of many concerns in my life it's one of many concerns that has shown up in my life as a per, as a as a person who feels deeply um 
who seeks, you know, to examine my own convictions, who is invested in, um, you know, beautifying and uh, observing the world and the gifts and the, and the and the and the vast abundance of of resources that are available to us, and how to make it so that many of us live with, you know, all of us can live with dignity, um, and and live out our lives, loving the people we love and enjoying the people we enjoy. And if that makes me an activist, I mean, I don't know how you could be anything else, you know, um, as someone that grows, you know, in the world. Right. I feel like nowadays, a lot of people in the world are, are very, uh, alienated and isolated and lonely. And there's been a a loss of community in a lot of places. Mm. Um, and in some ways I think that being able to build community the way you're describing that itself is a political act maybe now that you know that um i know i mean i feel like um you know there's a reason why i don't know some political leaders i mean it's like it's convenient to have people kind of go to work and come home and watch tv and not have um a kind of uh, strong network of other people oh yes oh yes well what you're discussing is something far um, that is co- contextualizing what I'm saying, which is to say that we exist in a society that is hyper-capitalistic, individualistic, and and betting on our lack of care and consideration for each other. And so therefore, to create and co-create and collaborate um, and discover solutions to the real-world problems we have together, you know, would seem you know, to the powers that are invested in, in our, you know, division would seem to be contradictory to that, you know. Um, but what we know to be true is that, you know, greed, power just corrupts, you know, and, and it does not lead to a more equitable, loving world. I mean, it's it's almost like uh, it is, in fact, suicidal that that the, the those who have um, abused powers, who 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 are greedy and individualistic and are more about attaining and attaining and privatizing and privatizing. It is very suicidal that they keep dwindling um, resources away from the public and, you know, trying to garner it all for themselves because what do they think is going to happen ultimately? You know, human beings are, we are behavioral, emotional, um, psychological, spiritual creatures and so at some point that greed will there will be a counter to that there will be an opposition to that there is there always is and so when you talk about um you know when you talk about well yeah it is political i mean political i I spoke on a conversation earlier this i mean anytime one is invested in and i in in trying to think about how we facilitate and govern and redistribute resources which is let's be very clear, we live in abundance. This is a planet of abundant resources. Uh, anytime that we are trying to, you know, to uh, to make that more equitable for all people, you know, that is a political act. Any, any, if, you, if you're concerned with clean water, fresh water, then that's political. If you're concerned with housing and how you're going to keep a roof over your, pe- your family's heads, that's political. If you're concerned with 
education and what's being taught to your your children and things that you are concerned that they learn and that they know about. If you're concerned with the environment and the planet and the the trees and the birds and the bees and the fishes, you know, um, and the ecosystem that allows for us to continue to live. I mean, those are all things that are political, certainly. But I think what is kind of naive or, or, you know, insulting about the people that, (laughs) so that seem in opposition to those things, right. Is it's like, clearly you must be suicidal because at, at this point, you know, how can you live and exist on the planet and not be aware that the privatization, the exploitation of the land, the mistreatment of, of individuals will eventually lead to your demise. I don't understand that, um, that some of us are isolated to make, make, made to seem exceptional for being human beings with hearts, you know, with feeling entities. You know, I think that's, that is that is the norm. It's not the exception. And they are the exception, you know, and I and I think it's important for us to reorient ourselves in that way that there are far more people who want who want um the world to be a place where people are safe and at the very least have access to their basic, you know, material needs and the ability to realize and self-actualize themselves. Um, and so when we talk about the question of Palestine, I think far more people as we've seen are, I'm not exceptional in the fact that I believe in the access of average Palestinian, you know, to, to be able to move freely, to be able to live on the land that they were, that they were born and they inherited, to be able to raise their children in schools that they designed for themselves, to be able to feed you know, their families to be able to be celebrated for the cultural contributions they've made to the world and, and to, to society, um, you know, to be able to, to be heard and listened to and respected as intelligible, sentient, spiritual beings. I'm not exceptional for believing that that is inherently, um, part of what it means to be human here. You know, if anything, I think that it's exceptional to deny anyone that and, and that it's, it's rather, um, you know, it's it's really it's coming down to the excavation of the soul, like where where are people's souls and hearts are, and I think when people don't align with those things, it becomes more clear that um, that certain people don't don't have uh, that are that aren't in alignment, you know, aren't in alignment with where the people are, um, but but many people are clearly we had to organize to get to this point. You know, I'm, I don't want to take things out of context. There's so much that can be said that it's important to, to recognize that um, a lot of what is happening in the world and the way that people are becoming more aware of what is taking place in Palestine took many, many years of sacrifice. And if not many years prior, this very year, past year, these past several months of witnessing the mass massacring and you know, the, the genocide against the Palestinian people before our very eyes with camera phones, uh, being up, you know, uploading images in real time. I think, um, you know, there's nothing like death to reveal life, you know, and I think that that's what's happening right now is that we are witnessing the humanity, the, the resilience, the resistance, the spirit of the Palestinian people fighting every tooth and nail, you know, every day for us to recognize their right to exist. Um, 
and 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 it's and it's and they they haven't they are not the first to be in that struggle they will not be the last and and it's imperative for us that how we respond to this moment now will reveal who we who we are and who we will become that's great i i have i think um uh time for one more question um and i just wanted to ask because we're living in a time of increased censorship and in my home state of florida they just banned the dictionary in oh my school God. district, um, along with a thousand other books or more. Um, but oh the, idea of ban- the idea of banning the dictionary just seems so absurd. Um, and oh my God. I thought if you have some thoughts as a person whose career is in words, um, what, how do you, I don't even know, how do we respond to this moment? Well, I think, you know, literature liberates and we have very good examples. If I think of Florida, I think of the Maroons and indigenous people prior who never had to learn other ways of communication and inventing language around the reality of their lives and and collaborated for the liberation of of their people in in the in you know in Florida at a time where um there was grave oppression and slavery across the across the country across the states so i think it's important for people to learn the history of, of Florida but to know that we're they're doing this in the schools and in the books because they know that children have access to more information now and i think they're trying to limit that information that's available based on you know the the institutions that cultivate us and that train us up so that it makes you know more subservient and easily controlled public that can be swayed and um and and dictated over and 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 kind of um yeah like managed i think that florida is invested the leadership in florida the politics and Florida is invested in creating more zombies that can be, you know, um, walked into death camps. I think that that is clearly what Ron DeSantis is is doing in his administration, right? He's he's committed and and desires a people that is subservient to death and and destruction, um, not to life and love and liberty and equality and justice, the things that this country claims to be founded on. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a moment that all of us have to strategize. How do we all become grassroots organizers and invested in the love of community, the nurturing qualities of, of one's neighbor, the, uh, the, dis- the dissemination of information that is true? How do we respond to that what are what sort of schools need to be cultivated i mean black people you know we were kept out of their schools and segregated uh, out of white schools at the time it seemed to be a, a a horrific thing but in many ways um it allowed us to understand what our power was to teach ourselves to organize for the the ideas and the values that we have and to learn about each other and so I think we have to respond to these moments sometimes by looking back to move forward and to see how deep we can go. What do we decide to pay attention to? What do we, what do they want us to focus on and what are we choosing to, to lift up 
and to celebrate and to, um, you know, give to the people? How do you as an interviewer, you know, how do you contextualize what you're doing in this moment, in this time to distribute the information and the truth that needs to be told? You know, I mean, those are things that all of us have to come to question within ourselves if we know a thing or two about the truth and as we pursue it within within our own realities, I think it's our job and it's our obligation to remain committed to that pursuit and to help um, redistribute that information for others to make their own decisions for themselves. And so we can't control uh, everything, but we can control who we are in, in, in every waking moment and how we respond to the struggles of our lives. And I think that that's where we find community is when we are you know, responding out of what we can do and not what is just happening. Um, what are what are our capabilities? What are our gifts, our skills? What are the things that we can celebrate in each other, that we can lift up in each other? Because everyone's not going to respond to these issues the same, but everyone has something to contribute to this moment. Everyone has a way to to be um to be useful. And we have to learn to value all skill sets at any time that are that are in the effort of truth and and love and liberation of all people. Well, I'm I'm so glad that you exist and that you're doing the work that you do, building community and spreading love and wisdom and and beauty. I'm and glad humanity. you exist. You know, <laughs> you. I I exist because you exist. You know, it's, I mean, that's really what it boils down to. I can only be seen because you see me. You know, otherwise, I'm I'm here. I'm always going to be here, but. Until you see me and you recognize me, then I, I'm I'm just here. You know, I'm I'm here doing what needs to be done. You are doing what needs to be done in your corner of the world, and we need you just as much as the next person. So, don't ever underestimate the power of of your gifts and the things that you can do to contribute um, to this moment. Because every day that we wake up, every moment that we take a breath, we have the ability to make. A change. We have the ability to do something that shows what else is possible, you know? And um, I mean, acts of kindness, true, genuine, sincere acts of kindness and thoughtfulness bring me to tears uh, often, you know, because those things are not lifted up enough. And when I see them, I, I, I cherish them. I devour them. I, you know, I swallow them like, you know, little pebbles of of precious you know possibility and i think that everything we can do to to do that together is is the best possible response you know thank you thank you so much that was poet lyricist writer and community organizer aja monet in conversation with logan royce biteman recorded back in late january of 2024 Thanks a lot to everyone out there listening. You can find us online at interlocutorinterviews.com and on Instagram at interlocutor.interviews. Plus visit our YouTube channel. And if you're a fan of our arts coverage, you can sign up to be a subscriber or donate via Patreon. Just click on the Patreon link on our site. And I'll be back soon with another Interlocutor Interviews podcast episode. Mm-hmm.